Welcome to the Astrology Hub podcast. I'm Amanda Pruel Walsh, founder of Astrology Hub and your host for our flagship show. We explore the many ways astrology can support you in your relationships, career, health, and personal growth. Thanks for tuning in. Hello, everybody. It's so great to be here with you live. If you're tuning into the recording, don't worry, you're not missing anything here today that won't be relevant for you later. But for those of you who are here live, it's great to be here with you. Today, we're going to be exploring one of those fundamental questions that often those of us who are immersed in astrology, we take it for granted. So where do the planets get their meaning? Why are the planets even important? Like, how did that even happen? And um, even exploring things like, why do some people consider the planets gods? And why have these like amazing, you know, temples and things been created for the planets? And or is that complete blasphemy? So we're going to like lots of these topics with one of our favorite astrologers, historians, um, someone who just brings so much depth and richness to our study of astrology. And that is, of course, the wonderful and amazing Christopher Renstrom. And so again, if you're new to our channel, a warm welcome to you. You have just joined a vibrant worldwide astrological conversation that happens here every single week, lots of episodes every week. And to all of our dedicated subscribers who tune in regularly, who leave comments, who share your episodes with your friends and family, we are incredibly grateful for you. You help us get our work out to more and more people. So thank you for being such an amazing part of our community. All right. So Christopher. Yes. Is, I'm getting to you in just a sec. He is also teaching a course that we are launching tomorrow. It's a three-week course. It is, you can consider it your foundational course in the planets. If you want to understand the planets on a whole new level, go super, super deep into their meaning, the why of what they mean and why they mean it, um, you know, the story and mythology and all those things behind it, and learn from a masterful teacher, this is going to be the class for you. You can consider it your foundational course in planets. So it's a complete deep dive on that topic. But then also, you'll get to learn about your ruling planet, how this shows up in the chart, how to interpret it in the chart, um, how to actually use the information about your ruling planet in your life so that you can use that ruling planet as an advocate, an ally, an ally, a cheerleader, a steward, a den mom. I love all the, the terms you use for it, Christopher. It's so cute. But um, that's what you're going to be doing in this course. You can go to astrologyapp.com slash ruling planet. Uh, no, ruling planets. Astrologyapp.com slash ruling planets. And... Um, learn more about that today and join us for class starting tomorrow. And it, even if you catch this later, this course will still be available to you. So if you're interested in diving really deep into the planets, you can check it out. All right, Christopher, welcome. It's so great well, to have you here. Thank you for having me back. I, I, I love it. I always look forward to it. It's always such a joy and a pleasure and a delight. What? And a delight. I love that word delight. Isn't it? It's such a good word. Yes. Okay. Let's start with that big picture question. Yeah. Why do the planets have the meanings they have? Where does that even come from? Right. Uh, basically, it comes from uh, Sumeria, Mesopotamia, and ultimately Babylon. 
That's where astrology really has its roots here in the West. And um, it comes from this idea that the planets were writing out the will of the gods in the heavens, okay? And so uh, when, when the high priests went out on the ziggurats to examine the heavens to forecast the future, you know, like a weatherman forecasting tomorrow's weather, um, they would look to the planets moving in front of the uh, constellations in order to divine or interpret their meanings. And so each of the planets were associated with a deity. And you can almost think of it as a moving alphabet. You know, there was going to be a vowel, there was going to be a consonant. Um, and so characters were assigned to each one of these planets, and they were named after gods, but at no point were they regarded as the gods. Okay, they they weren't seen as the physical um, embodiment of the god, you know, like you look up in heaven, you see the planet Venus, and so there is a goddess and you worship it. It wasn't like that. It was more that the gods were uh, using the planets to spell out uh, predictions or prophecies for these uh, high priests to catalog and to interpret. And so in the beginning, uh, you basically had uh, the planets. Um, let's go like this. Uh, the Babylonian version of Jupiter was Marduk, okay, who actually is the one who sets into motion. Um, he, he's the one who arranges the stars into constellations. And he's also the one who sets the fixed stars and the telling, the organizing of the year and the 12 months according to the fixed stars. That's Marduk. And he was given the planet Jupiter that was associated with him. Uh, then there was the moon, which was a god and not a goddess, uh, Nana or Sin. And uh, the moon was often interpreted, uh, the, the, Nana or Sin was said to be uh, the god of fertility and waters, but also associated with cattle uh, because of the horned moon uh, in the crescent moon or in the waxing moon in the way that it would sort of sit on, on in, in the sky or on the horizon. So that was also the association with, um, with, with cattle. And you see that later on in Egyptian lore uh, with the bowl and the, and the moon being framed between it, its horns. Uh, then there was uh, Utu or Shamash, and he was the sun god. And uh, because he was a sun god and was out in daylight, he could see everywhere. And so he was, a, he was an all-seeing god uh, because the sun saw everywhere on on the earth when 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 it was out in the day, and he was associated with it with being a di divine judge and the protector of travelers. Uh, uh, then there was Ishtar. Uh, her father was uh, Nana uh, or Sin, and Ishtar was the goddess of love, beauty, war, and fertility, and she was associated with Venus. Then there was the Saturn figure is interesting. It's Ninurta, and he was Lord of the Barley, associated with farming and healing, curing humans of sickness and releasing them from the power of demons, which is such a fascinating thing because, you know, Saturn takes on a more demonic uh, reputation or being associated to uh, difficulties and travails. But, but here, um, what gets passed down through the generations and in interpreting Saturn was his association with agriculture and with farming. And so he's Ninurta. Uh, then there's Nabu, 
who was the patron, he's Mercury, and he was the patron god of literacy, the rational arts, scribes, and wisdom. And finally, there was Nurgle, whom we know as Mars, who is the god of war, death, and disease. So these are kind of the early, these are the, the, these are the first versions, and, and, and it's how they appeared. These were the characters as they appeared in the skies and offered themselves to interpretation and divination. Okay. So here's my question. Yeah. You're saying the planets were regarded as almost like facilitated facilitators of God's will. So like, here's God. It's funny, of course, as a Capricorn, I'm thinking of like, here's God, the CEO. Right. Here's planets, the, all the directors or the vice presidents or whatever of the companies oh. so that the CEO or God is giving the big vision. And then the planets are helping to facilitate that will. Okay, here's my question, Christopher. Yeah. It sounds so like fanciful. It sounds so superstitious. It sounds so like it just doesn't sound valid. It sounds like these like stories, like how are we to place validity in these ideas? Well, uh, first of all, we have to remember we're looking at it from a 21st century lens. So it sounds fanciful or silly or something like that. But if you can imagine almost like a movable type, you know, imagine like on your screen, you know, um, words being typed out on a screen. That's basically how they were looking at the nighttime sky. Uh -huh. You know, the, the planets were changing their direction. And so they were typing out messages to be understood. Now, now we do it in terms of like a text, you know, we look at a phone and we're like, oh, you know, I don't work with vowels. I just do consonants because I'm texting and maybe I'm going to throw out an emoji. Okay. Now take that idea and travel back to Mesopotamia. Okay. Think of the way that we combine letters and words and emojis. Some people just text away in emojis. Okay. This, this isn't so fanciful when you take that idea and you put it in the nighttime sky. So this is actually the universe communicating to them, okay? And just as with an alphabet, we need A for A and B for B and K for C and D for D. We need these words and we need to put the, arrange them to make, we need these letters and we need to arrange them to make words and ultimately texts. The same exact thing was going on with the sky. They looked out on the sky and were seeing what was being communicated to them. And what was being communicated to them was, was their kingdom going to go to war? Was it going to fall? Was there going to be a plague? Uh, were we going to have a lot of babies this year? Um, were we uh, going into a famine? I mean, these were things that were of great importance to them. And so they looked to the heavens to get that information. Can you tell us the, the meaning of the word astrology? like broken down because as you're speaking, it's, it's like, okay, so they were reading the sky yep. and the stars and the movement of the planet as an actual alphabet, as a language that was speaking to them. And yep. skilled astrologers are doing that today. I mean, that, that is basically what the craft of astrology is. Well, yeah. And, and this is its origin. It starts in um, Sumer really becomes collected in Babylon, which is modern day Iraq, by the way. Um, it, and yeah, uh, astrology is the study of the stars, the knowledge of the stars. And when you think 
when you think in terms of nature, okay, you've got like, okay, you've got like a city and you've got walls or a big deal, you know, and you've got cattle and maybe you're working on gardens and things like that. You know, I'm, I'm doing I don't know, like a sort of a, 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 a invocation of Babylon type of thing. Um, and you have your good days and your bad days and your dust storms. And, you know, it's a great crop this year. Next year, maybe it sucks. When you look up into the heavens, you saw consistency. The sun rose and it set. The moon went through its phases. Mars might appear next to Jupiter and then past Jupiter. Well, what does that mean? I mean, this is before television. This is before social media. Okay. You're looking at the sky a lot at night, okay, because you don't have like Netflix to stream during the day. Okay, so so you're looking at this. And so this relationship to the nighttime sky, which was not random, okay, these planets appeared like clockwork. And remember, this is before clocks. Okay, these planets appeared and they would descend and over the horizon. Maybe we might not see them for a while and then they would reascend again. And so over a period of time, as their movements were noted and ideas of what they were trying to communicate was noted, it was collected in, in libraries, you know, um, we still have uh, uh, cuneiform tablets where they're written. Uh, this is actually where astronomy comes from, because these high priests in Babylon were the ones who really uh, measured the orbit of Venus through its heliacal rising or of Mercury, and, and it goes on to Mars and, and Jupiter and Saturn. Okay, it all starts here. So this becomes like their Bible. This becomes their book of knowledge. This becomes their resource text where they could go back and say, oh, we're looking at a Jupiter-Venus uh, conjunction tonight. Last time we had one was, I don't know, Neptune cuneiform was X amount of years ago, <laughs> you know, that they could go and look at that and they would have a record of when that conjunction had taken place before and what had happened. And so they would sort of say, maybe we can expect the same thing to happen this time around. So is it a misconception that they saw multiple gods? Is it a misconception of, of the idea that you brought up in the beginning, that it's that the planets were messengers of the gods? Of, of God. They weren't gods necessarily themselves. Or, the, or is it both? The planets were not the gods themselves, but there were gods. Okay. Mm -hmm. you, you had, um, you had An, uh, I'm talking about Babylon, Mesopotamia. You had An, who was the god of the sky. I mean, there's a, in fact, there's a fabulous myth in which An and Ki, An is sky and Ki, are making love to each other. And they are interrupted by, and they give birth to Enlil, who's the god of the atmosphere, who separates Earth from space. And they're interrupted by him. So On takes the sky and moves up to the heavens. And Ki is taken by Enlil down into Earth, where they create the underworld, the ocean, and the Earth. And they sort of set it apart from the sky. Now, anyone who's heard us talk before about Uranus and Gaia. Okay, that's centuries later. We've got Greece. Uranus and Gaia will recognize immediately uh, the marriage of heaven and earth and its separation and the beginning of mortality. But this is centuries before that's going to show up. And so this is actually how astrology is transmitted. You know, it's, it, astrology was transmitted first through the planets, the lore of the planets, okay, and then their placements 
And then it's passed down, not being called astrology, but these myths, these ideas are passed down and then they're picked up by other religions in the Middle Eastern uh, region that then goes out to Greece and to Persia. How has understanding the history and the mythology impacted your practice of astrology? Like, how do you feel that that makes you a better astrologer? It's, um, you know, how would a Bible impact the speech of a priest? You know, it's, 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 the, it's the source text, you know, because these, these stories, the descent of Inanna down into the realm of Arishkigal, down into the realm of the underworld, these, you know, these, these have been passed down through the generations. And so these attributes, these associations with the planets, you know, like if a, uh, a Babylonian said, okay, that's uh, Venus, that, uh, or, or that's the planet that we would call Venus. Well, that's Ishtar, and she's associated to love and fertility, and she's an evening star tonight, so that's a good sign. Oh, no, Ishtar, she has risen as a morning star. That's a sign of war. That's not a good sign. That discord. Okay, so so there were these associations with the planet that then were associated to the deity. The deity spoke through the planet to the people below, and this was carried down through um, the, this this the story of Inanna, uh, the character of Nabu, uh, the hmm, watch out for Nergal. I mean, that was always carried down and then as different mythologies and religions interacted with astrology they were essentially repackaged not really reinterpreted but re and repackaged by every civilization that found it and 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 so it's really about a transmitting you have to almost think of this information as being layered you know how in rome they can be like oh we were building a hotel you know cafe de luca or something like that and and we were, you know, digging down around or whatever. And we found, oh, my goodness, a Roman mosaic. Okay. I mean, it happens in Europe all the time. They're like, in, in England, they'll be like, oh, we're building the shopping center. And, oh, there's a Tudorian, you know, manor house floor underneath here. Well, that's astrology. The, you, the, the lore of the planets has been built over, over the centuries. It still is coming from a source, but it was refashioned or repackaged or seen in a different way for every civilization that discovered it and every civilization that played with it. Mm. It's so funny. I was in the car with my daughters going, driving them to school and they were talking about their favorite subjects. And they said, both of them were just like, no, I don't like history. It's just, it's just boring. But I do like Greek mythology. Greek mythology is cool. You know, both of them were liking the stories of the mythology, but history of different countries and whatever they just thought was boring. Well, what do you say to people who feel like it's overwhelming? I mean, to me, what sometimes I, when I'm learning about the history and the mythology, it seems, it seems really hard to like keep it all straight into the names and the stories and the, how do you help to simplify that and make it accessible for people? I would go in a slightly different direction, and I would talk about the telling of it. Mm. Telling of the story. Uh, 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 mythology basically is an allegory. You know, there have been debates for centuries about whether the Greeks believed in the myths or not. Well, the Greeks had a pantheon of gods and goddesses, absolutely. But the myths weren't, 
you know, gospel truth, you know, to come up with a Catholic, you know, they weren't a parable or anything like that. They were the stories of the stories and more often than not the misadventure of, of the gods and the goddesses. And that right away is what makes them so identifiable. You know, they're not uh, the, the gods and goddesses. The stories of Greek mythology aren't sterile like a date. And they're not um, and, and they're not so virtuous that you can't relate to them. You could relate to jealousy. You know, you can be like, you know, oh, my God, that person's got a face that could turn anyone to stone. You know, I mean, the images are so accessible and that's what makes the stories alive. So it's really with with mythology, like with the Bible, you know, you can tell the story, but how you tell the story is how you are relating to that story. And that's how these stories were passed down. They weren't collected in books. We think, you know, everything was collected in books. No, it was just like, Oh, you think that was hysterical? Well, you have to hear about that time when Demeter accidentally ate the shoulder bone of this guy. Okay, so 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 you tell the story, and when you tell the story, you're going to tell the parts that you relate to. Like, oh, that that's a part that I thought was funny, or that's a part that I thought was really really sad, or this is the part of the story that you really need to hear because it's really really important. So it's more like take the story on. You know, the story is coming from a wellspring. Take the story on and tell it from your life because you're adding your life, you know, to the uh, pile of Hermes, the the pile of stones. You know, you're adding your life to the pile of stones that recounts that story. Oh, Shash, you are so good at that. You're masterful and it's just so fun to watch you in action while you do it. Okay, I have another question. It's a little, might feel like a divergence, but it's all part of this planetary conversation. So there are astrologers or types of astrology that only use the seven planets mm-hmm. and then there's ones that use asteroids and you know uh, the the new newer discovered mm-hmm. planet like pluto and uranus and neptune right. what is this distinction and why why is that distinction made and what do you think about it like what's your personal opinion about Astrology that focuses only on the seven visible planets versus astrology that focuses on a bigger depth of placements. Sure. Well, your question also holds the answer in it. Um, it there were the seven visible planets. And so they were the set cast of characters. You know, it, it, if you watch a favorite TV show, you're looking forward to your set cast of characters. You know, or if you're listening to a myth, it's like, okay, when does Zeus show up and what's Venus up to? And is, you know, Mars going to be the spoiler, you know, type of thing. You've got this set of characters. When the modern planets were discovered, and they are called the modern planets, it's Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto. uh, When they were discovered in the modern age, which is why they're also called modern planets, they were not discovered visibly. Okay. Uh, They weren't like, oh, there's a new planet up there. Let's write it on day. You know, they weren't discovered, you know, using sight. Um, they were discovered through the advance of our sciences. Uh, a couple of them were discovered through guesswork. Um, and, and then it was backed up uh, through, through observation and going through files, um, uh, uh, records kept by telescopes and things like this. Um, the, the first modern planet, of course, was Uranus. And so Uranus, we know, is the planet of revolution and change. Well, it upset the order of the original seven planets, um, just as at the time of its discovery, 
which is um, in uh, 1781. That's right at the midpoint between the American War for Independence and the French Revolution. It's the height of the Enlightenment. And so that's a time that was associated to revelation and revolution, which are the two ideas that are associated to Uranus. Okay, now for some more traditional astrologers, they're like, I'm just sticking with the original seven. You know, um, uh, Star Wars is Luke, uh, Princess Leia, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Han Solo, and Darth Vader. I'm not interested in Siths or so-and-so or, or, or Mandolin. Star Wars is just the basic cast. Okay, so, so that's that. Okay. And then, you know, as the Star Wars franchise continued, there's uh, Yoda, there's uh, Mandalorian. Well, Yoda's in the first group, but there's Mandalorian and there's other characters who come up and they're kind of like the moderns. Okay. So for traditionalists, for traditionalists, it's like, oh, modern planet, come nowhere near my pantheon. You know, and the moderns are like, you know, let's rock and roll and let's like add some stories to, you know, this, this pantheon and things like that. And so they, they took on characters that were actually kind of hard to interpret. Astrologers were then faced with a creative project, which is how do you interpret a planet that doesn't have 2,300 years of cuneiform, you know, tablets to stand behind it? How do you interpret it? Uranus, for instance, it was discovered in 1781. Uranus doesn't really enter the astrological pantheon as a character. You know, like I was talking about the Mesopotamias with the character, planets are each associated a character. Uranus doesn't really enter the ast astrological pantheon as a character for a hundred years. All right. So there was a good hundred years of what do we do with Uranus? Okay. Uh, Neptune has been applied much faster. It's discovered in 1846. And then uh, Pluto's the baby. Uh, you know, Pluto's 1930. It's not even a hundred years old yet. So, so the the creative problem that beset astrologers is, what do I turn to to begin interpreting this planet? Do I turn to mythology? Do I turn to archetype? You know, because Uranus is a character in mythology, as is Neptune and, and, and Pluto. Um, do I look at the time that it was discovered? And does that inform me as to the character of the planet? What was going on when Uranus was discovered? As I just said, it's the midpoint between the American War for Independence and the French Revolution. It's an extraordinarily volatile time. Uh, it, it's seminal uh, period of time in, in, in Western history. Um, so, so that's what they look at as well. Recently, we have added asteroids and dwarf planets and things like that. Um, and again, People be like, well, let's turn to mythology and, 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 and legends and things like that. And while we're at it, let's not just, you know, um, limit ourselves to Greece and things. But my hesitation with that is, and I'm not saying this because I'm a stodgy Capricorn, or maybe I am saying it because I'm a stodgy Cap Capricorn, but it was a hundred years that went into Uranus before Uranus joined the group. You know, nowadays, sometimes it's kind of like, oh, it's this planet. And like, you know, three weeks later, it should be in, in horoscope. And I'm divided about that. Part of me is like, yeah, let's experiment with it. That's the only way you get to, you know, throw it in a chart and see if it says anything. That's the only way you get to experiment with it. And then the other part of me is like, are we just associating random meanings? You know, it's mm -hmm. got to have a, 
you know, it's got to have a little thing called history, you know, sort, sort of. It's, it's fascinating. And it, it almost becomes a little bit of like an ethical debate in some ways. One question I have is, I mean, first of all, theoretically, we may be able to, to understand the meanings faster because of technology, because we have huge databases of charts and we can actually run correlations and do statistical analysis that wasn't available before. So that's one possibility. I'm not convinced that every single one of these newer things that we're interpreting has rigorous research applied to it at this point, right. but that's one possibility. Another question I have is why do we assume that there is an impact? So with the, like you were saying, with the seven visible planets, there's lot, many, many years of correlation happening and that being passed down and, and the reading of that alphabet really well documented, right? And then taught to like next generations and things like that. Right. Why when Uranus, Neptune and, and Pluto, when they were discovered, why did we assume that they have any meaning or any sort of impact on life on Earth? Which would be the answer of the traditional astrologers. <laughs> they, they would say, yeah, why are we assuming this? You and know? we shouldn't and we can't. Uh, yeah. Okay. Wrong, you know, they, they don't belong, you know, type of right. thing. And that would, that would be their answer to it. Other traditional astrologers work with them as wild cards, you know. Mm -hmm. And then I think the other thing that they sort of upset was the system of the planetary dignities. You know, they don't really sort of fit into that, you know, in the way. And, and it's like, you know, this is the way Thanksgiving is always done. So what are we doing with a tofu turkey? You know, <laughs> what are you doing to my astrology? You kids, get off my horoscope. <laughs> you know? Yes, yes. Kind of get off my lawn. It's get off my horoscope. What are you doing to my astrology? You know. But but then I also, it's like, well, why should it be limited to the seven planets? If, I mean, listen, if we're going to be like Mesopotamia was the dawn of astrology as well as Babylon. Well, they were taking in comets, flocks of birds, uh, the aura of the moon, a cloud. Okay, they were taking in for their divination. They were taking in things a lot more random than dwarf planets and asteroids. Wow. Okay. What it speaks to ultimately, Amanda, is allegory, is reading a symbolic language, you know, um, and that's what the story of the planets are. I mean, an allegory is a story, a poem, a picture that can be interpreted to reveal a hidden meaning, okay, typically a moral or a purpose to it. And so, that's always been what's been kind of like projected onto the planets with the expectation that something was going to come back, which would talk to me, you know, which would talk to me and, and how I'm living my life and what to expect or how am I realizing myself as a person. You know, so allegory is really the thing that goes back centuries. It's as old as Babylon and it's as modern as your emoji you know, is, is the idea of the allegory. So we're really talking about imagination and we're really talking about how that affects the minds, the souls, and the genius. I mean, imagination gets geniuses to visualize a E equals MC squared. 
and imagination can also lead one to be delusional. And, and so if you're kind of like thinking, oh, imagination is the thing that allows me to envision airplanes, you know, or imagination is like, you know, someone's haunting my every step, that conversation that I just presented to you has been involved with the planet since the beginning. It's actually been involved with God since the beginning. How do I know this is a real sacred message versus, you know, some some wannabe burning bush? I had uh, coffee with a friend yesterday. She made me Turkish coffee and she was mm-hmm. she does it the, the traditional way. And she's she was talking about how, you know, if you drink it correctly, then the grinds are left and they would actually do, do divination based on how the coffee grinds were placed in the bottom of your cup. So, and I, and I had the thought when she said that, I went, well, I guess the universe is really speaking to us all the time in so many different ways. And if we're paying attention and if we're actually um, aware, and if we do believe that, that the universe is alive and it, it, it actually um, is communicating, then we can actually get messages from a lot of different things. Right. And, and that's where you're kind of like getting into the realm of religion and, and, and whether you're theistic, pantheistic, et cetera. But, you know, the, the beauty of the Greek myths and really their appeal is that they're talking about living in a living universe, okay? That, that, that you can engage a god or a deity in anywhere, you know, or, or they could be your inspiration in anywhere. When you have Christianity taking over, especially after uh, St. Augustine, you have a fallen world and a divine world, and mm-hmm. they are separate, and you cannot bridge that gap. You mm-hmm. know, so it was a very pessimistic view of the world. And, and, and later on, when it mixes with Calvinism, a very dour view of the world, you know, but, you know, for many cultures and civilizations which celebrated a pantheon of gods, you know, this world, the, 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 this world is the place where gods and humankind intermingle all the time. And so it was a much more living in this world, this planet. It was a place to, to celebrate God and, and life. Do you bring, which, which viewpoint do you bring into your practice of astrology? Oh, definitely that the world is a lot, that the world is speaking in so many different ways. And, and that's one of the things that I really, uh, that I wanted to do in the workshop on the planets that, that I set up is like, once you get into the headspace of each of the planets, you can see and hear the planets talking to you in art, in a TV series, in a conversation, you know, and it's not just like, oh, looking up in the sky to see the transit. Um, but you get a sense of like the planet as a world and how it contributes to this world and that they're in continual conversation with us. You know, once you understand that a certain planet has a character, just like a letter has a sound, you know, and, and once you understand that, you can then craft these sentences and these texts, or you have this symbolism speak to you in a way that can become very revealing and very pertinent and very resonant with your with your own life 
Yeah, I'd say astrology students, one of the things that they are they're asking for the most is how do I synthesize all this? How do I how do I put the story together of someone's chart? How do I take this placement and that placement and like synthesize it into a cohesive message and understanding? And that's what it sounds like you are laying the foundation for with this course. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the way that you do it is you speak the language. It's like a language. Yes. You can learn the language with like, you know, I mean, you know, just we, um, or, you know, you can like conjugate etra you know, or whatever. Yes. You know, that's not the same way as speaking etra or, you know, yes. being etra. <laughs> you know, you, you, astrology is a language. It's meant to be spoken. Yeah. And if you had to, you know, we speak English. If we had to stop and be like, I don't know, Amanda, that dangling participle, it sounds like it's hanging out there. And what about that gerund? Oh, that object to the preposition, that object's in search of a preposition. You know, I mean, like if we were to analyze the way that we speak, we couldn't speak. Hmm. Right. Okay. And this is where, you know, if you can get just that sense and that flow and that story and that love of interpretation, you can speak astrology. Yeah. You'll automatically be able to see the synthesis, what's important, what's not important, what's a, what's a compelling idea. You know, as an interpreter, you're like, that's a really compelling idea. And what's a, ooh, that one's in the weeds. Mm -mm. Yes. I was listening to an audio book today and you're talking about the planets starting to speak to you and you can hear the planets and see the planets. The, the author of this book is literally Saturn speaking it's the this book. It's called The Road Less Stupid. It's what the book is called. <laughs> and the whole time he's talking, I'm like, this is Saturn. Like, literally, Saturn's like, the structure, you need the straight you know, all the, the Saturnian things. I'm just like, oh, this is, it's priceless, you know, to be able to hear that and take the gifts because they each, they each have these gifts that they're basically advocating for as like, this is the most important thing. You know what I mean? Jupiter I might be like, enthusiasm, expansion, positively, that's the right. most important thing. But the beautiful thing is when we're aware of all of them, we get to take the, their ingredients and their messages and, and live as much as we possible, possibly can the beautiful things of all of them. Yeah. And, and the thing is, and what's so wonderful is it's not all happening at the same time. That is. Beauty of a transit. Okay. Yeah. Because... Like that Saturn book might be, you know, that book that sounds like Saturn's voice might be also associated to a Saturn transit right now. And yeah. Oh, I, yeah. Yeah. And this is the beautiful thing about astrology. It's like, oh, it's time. It's time for this message to to come on through, you know, and 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 again, this is, you know, they weren't looking at a, a, a set text sky. These ancient astrologers, they were looking at movable type that was moving across the heavens, which had consistency. Okay, that's what gave it its sacrality was, and it's not just like, oh, it's happening in the heavens. It's No, it had a consistency. You know, where would we be if the sun wasn't rising and setting? Oh no, an eclipse. That's really frightening. Okay, or where, or, or, or Venus looks like she's behaving tonight. How lovely. Oh no, Venus has come up as a morning star. Let's, you know, be careful about our borders of our city. So, so, so these were, you were hearing it at the time it was meant to be heard. 
And that is, I mean, if you think about that extraordinary message, that has continued to this day. You know, when we talk of Jung, who revalorizes astrology, Dane Rudyard, who takes Jung and really lays the foundation for Jungian astrology, comes out of humanistic astrology, lays the foundation for Jungian astrology in the 1980s, the living allegory, the living archetype, you know, and, and so it's something that so speaks to us now. It never got old. You know, it never got old and it never, you know, might have gone underground a little while. But, you know, if you're building that English tavern, there might be a two-door house underneath. Well, but yeah, it never, it never got old and it continues to never get old. And it just blows me away all the time. Uh, I love how Gemini Brett, the astrologer Gemini Brett calls the, the sky, the original motion picture. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, this is what this, this was entertainment being, you know, being under that sky and when you're speaking it's it's it must have been comforting to have something orderly in what can seem like a very chaotic reality yeah well uh, why are we having a famine you know um why why did my harvest suck um you know um why have i fallen in love with my beloved you know and and you could you could see the sky and it would be like oh you know mm. our word influence okay um like the word influenza is originally an astrological term it meant that the planet was putting a force into the air okay influenza was the idea of an illness being carried through the air it was originally associated to plague or to pestilence it had a martian a mars quality but the but the planets had influences they would put into the air an influence you know, that that we would experience on Earth, just like we'd experience a rainstorm or a very, very hot day. Mm-hmm. So it's not really so wild and crazy, but the planets did it in a routine, mm. you know, did it in a set consistency. You know, like Jupiter never said, like, I'm leaving this elliptic. All, uh, you know, I'll see you guys on the other side of, you know, Ursa Major or something like that. You know, no, Jupiter followed, you know, as did Saturn, as did Mars, you know. And, and that's something that I think we take for granted a lot is that, you know, Brett's right. It's the original motion picture, but it was also the original reliable source. Mm. Mm. Wow. Christopher, you are a delight. Thank you so much. And we're really looking forward to your three-week course that you are all invited to. If you participate in this course in, where are we at? May of 2023. If you participate in the live launch of this course, you will lock in the best pricing for the course. So highly encourage you, if you're interested in doing it, to do it now, even if you can't complete everything right now. So it's three weeks of um, pre-recorded modules. You'll get your lessons, I believe, on Fridays, right? Or Thursdays. You'll get your, your lessons on Thursdays. Oh, so it's Jupiter's Day. What a yes. day for the lesson. Yes. Right. Exactly. And then you will have some time to absorb the content. You'll be able to ask questions about the content. And then we will have a live Q&A with Christopher where he will be answering questions from the students and then also doing some live chart demonstration of the ideas. So again, you're going to be going deep into all seven planets plus the three modern planets and um, getting Christopher, getting that real depth that you need so that these planetary beings 
start speaking to you through the you'll start to see them in everything in movies in music in books in people that you meet and yeah. then that will help to really create the foundation for fluency in your astrological interpretations so that you can start to tell the stories yourself and um, so that is available to you right now astrologyhub.com slash ruling planets again that's astrologyhub.com slash ruling planets because there is an element of the course where you will also be learning about your ruling planet in your chart, both the planet and the sign that it's in and what that means about how to interpret your chart and how to look at the charts of your loved ones. Or if you do, you know, want to work with clients at some point, you'll be able to use that as a foundation for that as well. Anything else you want to add to this, Christopher? Well, I, I love teaching this with literature, with art, huh. with comic book strips, <laughs> movie references, because it gets the image into into you, you know. And so I, I'm, I'm pretty confident in saying you're never going to confuse the planets again. You will. <laughs> you will know who each one, you know, you will not confuse Hamlet with Horatio. You know, no. Romeo with Juliet. You'll be very clear on who they are. And and it will stay with you because the images are just so. And and that's why I'm so grateful, Amanda, that you um, allowed us to pre-record it. So it could really exist as, a, as an evergreen source. Yes. Know, people can go back to and just, you know, reflect and absorb again. You know, I, I'm, thank you so much for doing that. Our pleasure. One of the biggest feedback we got from the Cosmic Calendar, the, the other course that we did with you, was they love the art. They love the visual. They it brought the class to life on a whole nother level. And we, we pour so much energy into it. You pour so much energy into it because it, it really does. It stays with you in a very different way when you have that visual representation. And then combined with your storytelling, it's kind of it's, it's, it's the perfect combo. I have yes. to say it's, it's amazing. So for those of you who want to check it out again, this is going to be a time for you to lock in the best pricing that you'll see on this course. And um, you can join us now. You'll have access to the course for as long as astrology hub lives with, which it's hopefully forever. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> from now when they're going through the cuneiform tablets. Oh. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this will be our version of creating the cuneiform plot. Uh, go check it out. Astrologyhub.com slash ruling planets. And like we said, the first module is released tomorrow. So you would be able oh, to so dive funny. into class as soon as you are ready. Thanks to all of you who are here for the live broadcast of this. If you want to be notified when we go live at other times, make sure that you hit that subscribe button and the notification bell. And also make sure you're on our mailing list, astrologyhub.com slash insider, astrologyhub.com slash insider. And that'll make sure that you know the different things that are happening here at Astrology Hub and you can hop on and catch broadcasts like this live. And um, just thank you so much for making astrology a part of your life. We love that we get to have these conversations with you, for you, inspired by you here every single week. And Christopher, the best. Thank you. Thank you, my dear. Thank you. All right. Take care, everybody. We will catch you on the next episode.
This podcast is presented by Astrology Hub. You can learn more and find all of our shows at astrologyhub.com slash podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and hit subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you can stay up to date on the latest episodes and help more people find the wisdom of astrology. Thank you for taking the time to do this now. Thank you for being a part of our community and for making astrology a part of your life.